Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan Lee Davies, and here is my co-host Gavia Baker Whitelaw. Hello. So this week we watched Greta Gerwig's new adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's beloved novel Little Women, starring Saoirse Ronan as fiery young writer Joe March, Florence Pugh as her bratty younger sister Amy, Timothy Chalamet as the charming boy next door Laurie, and many more, including Laura Dern, Meryl Streep, and Emma Watson. So we came to this film with extremely different experiences because I was obsessed with Little Women as a small child as many young girls in America were, uh, but particularly because I grew up very close to where Louise May Alcott grew up in Concord, Massachusetts, and have been to her house uh, many, many times. And to prepare for this film, I reread the book and did some blog posts on our Patreon about it that you can read if you are so uh, interested and rewatched a couple of the earlier film versions. And you, by contrast, had no experience or knowledge of Little Women <laughs> even yeah. slightly. I mean, first of all, Little Women is not as big a deal in the UK, but I definitely had friends growing up who read this book because we were a bunch of, you know, 11 year old bookworms. But as the kind of promo for this movie started, I was like, wait, I actually don't know what happens in Little Women. And it'd be kind of fun to just not know any spoilers. <laughs> So I like muted little women on Twitter and was just like told my friends not to tell me what happens. And like the one thing I knew from I think possibly like reading it in like the Princess Diaries or something was that I knew that someone set fire to someone else's manuscript. And I was kind of vaguely aware that a sister died. So watching the movie, I was like, okay, right, the sick one's definitely gonna die. And they also like that happens like about halfway through or something so it was like whatever but like I genuinely at the end I was like messaging Morgan and a couple of other our friends in a group chat being like she marries who (laughs) (laughs) so so I could confirm that like a 30 year old adult can have the same emotional response to this as all the like 10 year old girls who've been reading this for a hundred (laughs) years and the way this ends and the sort of general approach to a lot of what happens in the second half of the book is radically, radically, radically different from the novel. So you actually encountered an improved version from a thematic yeah, I could, perspective. I could kind of tell that. And I was like, I love what they've done with this without even knowing the full backstory, even though they kind of, like Greta Gerwig has interpreted this in a very meta way that we're definitely going to be talking about throughout the podcast. But um, it's really, yeah, really interesting ending. I think we can just plow ahead with like fucking little women spoilers. I cannot imagine that anyone else is enough of a freak like me to be like, oh, I'll I'll pass on that. So uh, we're going to discuss those 150 year old spoilers. Yes. If you don't know what happens in Little Women, which came out 150 years ago, I don't know what to tell you. Gav was the exception to this rule, I suspect. You can pause this at any time if you so choose. So we're just going to continue. <laughs> We will start with a little bit of context about the novel before we dive too deep into the movie. Um, If you were reading along with us on Patreon, you'll probably have heard a lot of this already. But it was published in 1868 and 1869 in two parts and was obviously a massive success right from the beginning, which was a surprise to the publishers, for instance, because it was for girls, which, you know, was a shock because girls didn't like to read who knows i mean the context for that is that boys fiction was a huge market in victorian england and america at that time you have a lot of periodicals and books that were like boys adventure stories and there was some girls fiction but there wasn't as much and what there was tended to be extremely moralistic and just like here are lessons for how you should be a nice wife and do your chores. And Little Women definitely has some of that moralizing tone, but it's much more lively and entertaining. So it makes sense that girls reading this at the time would have been really excited because it was much more enjoyable and geared toward them in a just like a humanistic way, treating them as people. So it was hugely successful after the completion of the and publication of the first half. As many people now know, Louise Malcott's publisher told her that she had to marry off Joe, the main character, and all of them except Beth who dies. And she was also receiving a huge amount of fan mail from young readers begging to know what was going to happen with Joe and Lori, who seemed like they're set up for marriage after the first half. So she winds up not doing that and setting up these sort of perverse endings for the characters in the second half. Instead, Joe marries professor bear, who is this like old 
unappealing German professor. And Laurie marries Amy, Joe's annoying sister. So I think most people reading this as children are very upset by this resolution. I certainly, as a child, was just like, why is Joe marrying an old man? Like, this <laughs> yeah, is very like upsetting to old, me. Old, like, portly man with a beard. <laughs> yes. Who tells her she has to stop writing because what she's writing is, like, immoral. And when they wind up having their, like, proposal scene, he makes her call him thou because that's more romantic. And it's just like, oh, no, you are, like, a mansplainer on the internet like this is not good and louisa may alcott like never married never had any relationships yeah she wanted joe to not marry because she herself never married and that wasn't viable so my theory about the second half of the book having read it again as an adult i don't think i'd read it since i was around 10 was that the second half is basically a perverse fuck you to her publisher and the audience like the whole thing is incredibly conservative in a way that she and her family were not they were famous revolutionary liberals in Concord, which was this hub of transcendental transcendentalist thinking in the 19th century. And I found it quite sadistic and cruel, actually, reading it as an adult. I think it is genuinely a deliberate ploy to make people unhappy. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think I think it's supposed to be awful. So the adaptations, subsequent ad- adaptations of the book have been interesting in how they've tried to approach that very unsatisfactory ending. It's like, actually, after kind of we'd spoken about this bit, I kind of started looking up who played Professor Bear in each of the adaptations. And most of them, it's sort of like over the years, he kind of, to a certain extent, like increases in hotness. And they all have like a very wide variety of interpretations of what he would be like. So in a couple of the older films, he is legitimately just like what you'd expect from the book. Um, but in the 1949 one, they choose like quite a hottie. He's like older, but he's hot. Then in the 70s, they went with William Shatner in the post Star Trek era when he had a perm, which is like awful. Not seen that movie, but like terrible. And then you get to the sort of the one from the 90s and they've got, um, what's his name? Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne, who, of course, handsome. And I did read like a little anecdote from like the, um, they did like an oral history recently of the cast of the classic 90s Little Women. And it was like, he was the only man who auditioned for the movie who had read Little Women. (laughs) And they were like, ah, someone who understands the basic concept. (laughs) I mean, obviously Christian Bale, God love him, also a teen at that point, I think. Lots of lovely and charming stories about him and that. But um. Yeah, and then in this one, Greta Gerwig was like, I'm just going to go full bore and like cast like a young, hot, sexy guy. And okay, he's like 36, but he looks younger than 36. It's Louis Garel, who is French. He's like an indie film actor and filmmaker. He's also the brother of the girl who plays Timothy Chalamet's girlfriend in Call Me By Your Name. Fun Timothy Fat Chalamet fact there. <laughs> but um, it's like, it was really just entertaining to see the reactions of people coming out from early screenings of this movie because, well, I discuss this more later, but it's there's lots of different interpretations of the relationships in this. But loads of people were just like, this is the first time I've really shipped joe and professor bear because like he seems actually like a pretty good boyfriend like he supports her career and he is like so handsome and then timothy chalamet is this little flippity gibbet and i was like love laurie but um also there is the argument of course that laurie is a flippity gibbet so you know (laughs) well the most interesting thing that she does in this movie and the most successful thing i think is rewrite the romances in a successful way I was much less enthusiastic about this film overall than you were. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff about it. I didn't hate it. And certainly if people listening to this are like interested in going seeing and seeing Little Women, I would not at all like discourage you from seeing the film. I thought it was interesting. But I think largely it's getting just glowing reviews all around. Yeah. Um, but I had a lot of issues with it. But the things that I thought were interesting was primarily the way she handled those romances and she clearly had thought a great deal about how to do that and she's talked about this in interviews as well there was a great interview with her in film comment that we'll link to in the show notes a lot of what she did with those was like actively rewrite the text of the novel to an extreme degree which i have no problem with at all but like professor bear for instance you just can't do what's in the book in a way that is remotely appealing 
it just doesn't work. Like he's it's like it sounds kind of like what we were discussing when we did our ten things about he- I hate about you episode, and it was like when people try to do the taming of the shrew and just do it straight and then also make it work, and it's like you can't like you yes. just can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, basically, Professor Bear in the novel exists to lecture at Joe morally from like an authority position because he's so much older and is a professor and has like wisdom and one of the things he says which i already mentioned is that he finds out that she she's writing these sensation stories for money which is what louise may alcott did as a career before she wound up writing little women and it was what she really loved and enjoyed she much preferred writing those kinds of things to writing little women which she really did not like and he winds up saying, you know, actually, this is really immoral and bad. And Joe kind of realizes that she's like poisoning her soul by writing the sensation stuff. And she stops. And by the end of the book, she's just not writing anymore. And in the sequel, she winds up kind of doing that a bit more, but they're obviously much less famous. And so his effect is essentially to like stop Joe from writing. And then I mean, she it sounds marries like him. he's almost like a stand in for the publisher yes. that was telling her to do. And it's like she, like, and Joe is like her self insert character especially really explicitly in the movie it's like they, they weave parts of louisa may alcott's life into joe like towards the end yeah so so that's just really unappealing and what Gerwig does in the film is a make him much younger and hotter as you say which is really key i mean the way she describes professor bear in the book as like an adult person you're just kind of like oh he sounds like a normal looking man yeah just like a normal bat (laughs) joe is like 20 and especially if you're a kid reading this the idea of this like 40 year old man who's kind of stout and has a big beard is just like what like i don't understand why is she marrying that man so casting a hottie very important and she also makes him instead of a kind of moral authority figure he's like a young intellectual who is appealing because he's intelligent and sort of intellectually engaged as opposed to someone who already knows everything and is telling Joe about it. And the scene where he critiques her writing is one of the best scenes of the film, I think, because instead of saying this is bad because it's morally bad and you shouldn't do it, he's just like, yeah, I don't like it. It's not very good. (laughs) And she really reacts badly because she's never been criticized before. Yeah, there's this great scene with her just like getting really upset because no one's ever like critiqued her work. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So... All of that, I think, works really well. And she very intelligently puts that at the beginning of the movie and the first scenes with Laurie and Amy in Europe at the beginning of the movie. So when you enter the story, you're already entering with the sort of endgame relationships at the beginning, as opposed to starting the story with like half of the narrative with Joe and Laurie. So you're not I mean, attached to As someone to who that. didn't know anything about these characters... And didn't know the ending. I just found that such so interesting. And I feel like there, I've seen some people being like, are people going to understand this story if they've not read the book? And if anything, I feel like this is going to be more accessible if you've not read the book. Because you don't have any kind of preconceived ideas about the narrative. And at the same time, I guess, like, if you're watching it, knowing everything that happens, it's like, oh, we've shaken things up in a fun way. Well, I have also heard some anecdotal evidence about people who were really confused about yeah but people there's always anecdotes about people getting confused by like every movie and it's just like it's not hard well i i mean so i really liked that she put some of that at the beginning of the film but then she continues to do these flashbacks back and forth between what essentially are the two parts of the novel um because the first part happens when they're younger children and then it, it sort of skips ahead later and so she flashes back and forth between those two sections and i like strongly strongly disliked that approach and I obviously wasn't confused because I know the book really well and had just reread it and watched all these other movies so I was particularly in a place to know exactly what was happening at every time because like I know everything that goes on in Little Women at this point very intimately but she flashes back and forth very very rapidly so it's not like you have like a 10 minute section and then you skip to another 10 minute section it really goes quite quickly but they do really clear kind of differences in costuming and hairstyling and the lights and the locations and stuff. Right. So I don't, I agree. It wasn't like it was confusing to me, but I found the effect jarring is perhaps not the right word, but it was just so fast that I found it very difficult to get into the movie in an emotional way because it was just so rapid fire. I think that she tried to fit too much in, 
like it's a huge task to adapt a novel of this length and prestige, right? Like what are you going to include? What are you going to leave out? How are you going to approach the source material? And I think I was also not in a great position because I had watched the 1994 version, which I'd actually never seen before. I think the day before and that movie is not perfect. And some of the stuff that it doesn't do as well as stuff that this movie does do well. So like the romances at the end are not super convincing in that movie. But the thing it does the best is the first half of the book, where it includes a huge number of the sort of little stories in the first half of the novel in a way that does not feel rushed or sort of overstuffed. And I was watching it thinking like, wow, this is unbelievably impressive as like a feat of screenwriting that they managed to sort of just navigate this very sort of overpacked novel in a way that feels just sort of smooth and organic. And by contrast, I felt that this movie was having the opposite problem where there was just she was just trying to get to so much stuff and sort of flashing back and forth really fast and obviously this is subjective like most people have including you really loved it but I found the middle chunk of the movie had really just threw me out of it emotionally like I was having a very hard time connecting to it at all I was so engaged I was like I was so emotional like all the way through this movie it was the perfect sort of level of sentimentality because of course kind of this is a Christmassy movie where it's very cozy like aesthetically and emotionally and there's lots of also like really extreme like overall emotions and romance and like sisterhood and morals and being a good person and sort of nostalgia and all that stuff but at the same time the characters were intelligent enough and like there's so much really clever kind of social observation that it's got enough edge and sort of feminist social commentary and stuff. I'm just like, this is such a great balance of elements that really work together. So I was simultaneously just like so moved and like tearing up and loving it. And it was hilarious. And also just really impressed by Greta Gerwig's sort of skill as a filmmaker, just sort of visually, this movie was just so interesting. You know, it wasn't, it was sort of the opposite of like recent movies that are kind of experimenting with historical drama which has been a really exciting trend for me recently like David Copperfield and The Favourite are like the two biggest ones recently I actually don't think David Copperfield's out yet but they're kind of much more experimental and this movie was it's a very traditional story like structurally she's definitely made a lot of like quite bold choices but aesthetically it's like straightforward historical drama and it was just like the way she like frames shots and blocks characters in these sort of Victorian tableaus inside the the home and that sort of thing. I was just like so perfect. Like the visual choices are amazing. I'm so sure that in a couple of the ballroom scenes, she was using some kind of historical lighting. I'm actually not sure what exactly that was, but there was one scene where I was like, is she using like gas lamps or or like early like fluorescent light bulbs or something? I don't know. It looked really interesting. And also there was like a lot of kind of inspiration from this particular artist who was working in New England at the time, Winslow Homer. And it's like, there are shots from this movie where it's like, oh, okay, you're very, like, it's so clearly inspired. I've now got off topic in terms of the emotional stuff, but I was just like, so there's just so many accomplishments in this very impressive film. <laughs> I'm really amused to hear you describe Winslow Homer as like this painter who was like working well, in the... <laughs> I'm British. I'm British, okay? I don't know who fucking Winslow Homer is. <laughs> He's one of the most famous American artists ever. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, you can see his influence, definitely. I mean, I thought it was a very beautiful film for sure. But it just it just felt rushed to me. There's a very intrusive score. As you know, I don't notice music in movies as much as you, but the score was driving me fucking crazy. I was just like, could you please stop? Just ease back. Like they're Alexander Desplat, he really he loves to he loves to do those sentimental scores. My favorite music moment in this actually was like I was so intensely attached to it I had like the silliest reaction to something you posted online which was there's this parody video where it's uh Joe and Laurie dancing to the succession theme and I watched this and I was like this is sacrilege because they had the world's best usage of one of the movements from Dvorak's American String Quartet and I was like this is one of the best film music moments of the year this is a perfect music choice um, it's a brilliant piece of music. It's full of like the energy and effervescence of youth with these two dumbass teens dancing around. Wonderful performances from both. And I was like, Morgan's ruined this by retweeting a succession parody video. Oh, Gavia. <laughs> I have no comment in response oh, to no. that. I'm just like, I had this thought for like half a second. I was like, 
I'm a fool. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how we should how we should proceed here because I have some more some more critiques, but uh, I feel like we should maybe highlight some positives before. I mean, I think we should talk about acting. We yes. should also talk about kind of Joe's gender stuff, which I find super interesting. Sort of like gender and sexuality content. Yeah, like performances. Yes, costumes. There were, there were some really fantastic performances. Um, even though I didn't love the movie. Saoirse Ronan, of course, playing Joe, just one of our finest movie stars. She's it's, so great. She's, she's wonderful. So great. Um, I really, really loved her in this. Uh, I think she's the best Joe I've seen. She's just, she's really, really good. I almost don't know what exactly to say about the performance specifically. I think you probably have more. I just thought it was really, really impressive. Yeah, the costumes are obviously really interesting with her as well. Uh, why don't you take us away on on Sersha? <laughs> I mean, I actually, weirdly, as a film critic, like kind of, I should really know more about like the craft of acting. It's not one of the things I like have done a great deal of research into, but I'm like, great job, Sersha. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I really loved how physical this performance was. And kind of that tied into the way they've done the costumes and I actually I interviewed the costume designer Jacqueline Duran who's this very acclaimed established designer especially for historical dramas if you've seen Atonement you'll have seen one of her most iconic costumes which is Keira Knightley's green dress she also did Pride and Prejudice and in this it's sort of there is this kind of amazing marriage between historical political concepts of the movie and sort of like the costuming choices they made which I think is really obvious from almost like immediately starting the film which is that everyone is really comfortable you're seeing these women wearing sort of leggings and trousers a lot but like not in a big statement way it's just like they're they need to be able to move around and it's sort of tying into the background of the March family and also obviously Louisa May Alcott's family as being quite like kind of proto-feminist and sort of also living in a rural environment and it's like when we watch movies set in the 19th century there's always a very kind of stereotypical idea of what women are wearing in like a Victorian costume and it's very corseted and very kind of restrictive even in scenarios where it's like that no it wouldn't necessarily be that realistic and here it's much more relaxed and sort of cozy and also each of the characters have very distinctive dress senses and I think Saoirse Ronan as Joe obviously is like the most obvious one because she's kind of the 1860s version of soft butch she's wearing sort of ties and shirts and like there's this whole thing where she and Laurie are switching clothes a lot which apparently is something that they were discussing with Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet like right at the very beginning of character development because they were like we want these characters to sort of mirror each other and have this really symbiotic relationship and obviously those actors have incredible chemistry and have worked together before in Lady Bird and are both just really fantastic casting. Like Timothy Chalamet is the world's most inspired casting for this character. I say as someone who's not read the fucking book, but it's like the gift to teenage girls that this young man is. He is like, he's so beautiful. He has such powerful, like troubled fuckboy energy. It's just astounding. And in this, it's like they've got this situation where they have this really close relationship and he they also have this thing where it's like they show kind of Laurie has this sort of attraction just to the idea of being part of the March family because he's living in this very sort of chilly restrictive atmosphere with his grandfather and then there's this really sort of active warm family with all these women and he kind of later like marries in but not in the way you expect and with him and Joe, I think there's already been like a lot of commentary over the over the decades about sort of the gender dynamics there. But it's like, first of all, they have like names where it's like they both have very gender ambiguous names. And Joe is very independent. And especially in this movie, like Greta Gerwig really pushes the idea that she doesn't want to get married at all, um, that she wants to have a career. And even though Laurie's in love with her, he just she just like straightforwardly rejects him. And when you get to the end of the film, even though she marries, like, or you can interpret it as her marrying Professor Bear, I ended the film and I was like, this woman is asexual. She's never, she's never marrying a man. <laughs> this isn't what, this isn't what happens in Gavia's canon. <laughs> um, and I think they did like a really great job of sort of illustrating both options of that at the end. Um, I realize I've gone off topic from Saoirse Ronan's performance, but like, I just feel like She's a tremendous actor and they clearly had a really specific vision for the way this character would work because 
they have these all of the girls they have to show them at like very different points in their lives and there's no kind of real attempt to make Saoirse Ronan look seven years younger than she is um, which I think was only really a problem with Florence Pugh because it was like she just has to I mean you just have to like accept it it's very it's very kind of old school or theatrical where it's like Florence Pugh is like 23 or something but she has like a very mature affect you know she has a very deep voice and we've already seen her play these like powerhouse roles in other movies and she's an amazing actress but there's points where she's effectively playing like a 12 year old and she's surrounded by 12 year olds and you just gotta be like it's fine it's like we're watching like Harry Potter on stage or whatever you know one of those plays where you just have like a 40 year old playing a child whatever you know like a vintage like black and white musical where it's like just strap the tits up and be like pretend it's an <laughs> <laughs> she was wonderful at playing sort of like a petulant teen but with Saoirse Ronan it was more like it's to do with her kind of like emotionally maturing so you see her as this like very full of kind of like youthful energy as a teenager and really sort of neurotic and over emotional and you kind of see her becoming more independent and like self-assured but still having the same personality and it was just like such an amazing character journey and also like filming like not not just like filming out of order which is normal but kind of editing out of order and I was just like the fact that you can have such a precise idea of where that character is in their personal journey in each of these individual scenes I was just like well done you're very good at your job yeah I agree the fact that they didn't make much of an effort to do anything to make you know that she was younger or older but you really felt that was really impressive to me the Florence Pugh thing is just an unsolvable problem because I thought she was really wonderful playing Amy as an adult, but I never could stop thinking about the fact that she was an adult when she was playing Amy <laughs> as a kid. I mean, she really does a good job, but you, she just is an adult person. Yeah. I also like didn't even fully understand, like realize that she was meant to be like a full on child and they still, until they had the scene where she's in the schoolroom. And I was just like, all oh, right, she's meant to be like 12. <laughs> what they do in the 1994 version is they cast Kirsten Dunst as yeah. that character and she was a kid and it's by far the best version of that she and Kirsten Dunst was an amazing child actress and so she is so so good but then when they switch to Amy as an adult it doesn't work at all because you're you just like I assume you're just like who is that right like, <laughs> and they don't make much of an effort with that like she has like three scenes so they're basically just like we can't make this convincing that Laurie would marry her so like okay whatever I mean, I was really interested to see sort of the audience response to Amy's character because obviously me going in, like me coming out of this film, I was like, oh, interesting, like balance of perspectives for the way these women kind of deal with the situations they're in. And then like everyone else obviously was just like, either there was a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't want to see this movie because it sounds like they're a, like, they're like Amy apologists and she's the villain, which is like a comical like teen response to this. And it's like, it's fine. I'm sure you'll grow up at some point. Or people who were like, it's really impressive that this is like the first one that really tries to examine Amy's perspective because it kind of seems like most adaptations before they just don't really know what to do with her. And it's definitely something that Greta Gerwig has talked about in interviews where she was like, I really want these two characters to have maybe not like equal importance, but like have Amy as the secondary lead after Joe. We do get like, there was this speech scene, which is sort of like Florence Pugh's, you know, supporting actress monologue where she kind of talks to Timothy Chalamet about the way you have to kind of use marriage to gain power as a woman in society. Whereas I thought that speech was terrible. Um, I mean, I actually, this is interesting, right? Because like when I was watching the movie, that just didn't register for me at all. Because I was like, love Florence Pugh. But like, I was just like, this is just like a scene. And then I kind of looked online and all these people were like, oh, it's her Oscar speech. And I was like, oh, I guess it must be. But like, I didn't, I didn't like register. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. So I think the way they dealt with Amy was really interesting because it's not like what they did with her was wildly out of character from the book, but they definitely expanded the character in a way that is not really in the novel. Like she's just not as sort of deep or interesting as that in the book. Like it's, it's just not there, which again, I'm not complaining at all. On the contrary, I think it's really inventive. I mean, I can't even imagine how fucking weird it is to like read the book and be like, Oh, Amy's marrying Laurie now. Cause even I, after all that buildup was like, Amy's marrying Laurie now. Like, <laughs> What? <laughs> I mean, it's it's very sudden in the book. There's not nearly as much time paid to it. And Laurie in his head is basically like, well, if I can't have Joe, I guess I'll have Amy. I mean, almost like verbatim. Grim. <laughs> and the way it's presented is very much that she's like the traditionally feminine one. Ergo, that's a better option. Because again, the second half of the book is uh, sadistic. Fuck you. So... 
There was a great list from uh, Daniel Lavery, like formerly of The Toast, I saw posted the other day. There was kind of a list of like all the queer interpretations of Little Women. And one of them was that like, actually Amy and Laurie is like the true ultimate endgame pairing because it's like the ultimate like femme for femme pairing. And I was like, that's an amazing interpretation. I love it. (laughs) Well, and what's so interesting about part that second half of the book is that all of the sort of fuckboy stuff with Laurie really happens in the second half of the novel. Like he's a little bit moody in the first half, but he's basically just this like adorable teen. And then once she has to make sure that he and Joe don't get married, she really ups his like, yeah, I'm like gambling at college and like I'm a fuck up so that that can play at all. He's so good at lounging. What a great lounger that man is. Yeah, and Timothy Chalamet really goes after that, which which is good. <laughs> but one of the things Joe says to him when she's rejecting him is like, "Oh, you need a like conventional wife because you wouldn't be happy with me and it would be terrible." And then he winds up marrying Amy because she is a very conventional woman and she's like calling him my lord and whatever and it's just like i want to throw up but precisely the reason that laurie loves joe and finds her appealing is that she's not like that right like she's totally unconventional and like says over and over again in the novel how she wishes she were a boy and like wants to dress like a boy and it's there's a lot of that and that's why laurie loves her so when you get to the point where that's not happening in the second half it kind of feels like a betrayal because clearly it wasn't Alcott's intention to set that up but that is what she wound up creating and so if you're reading that like you like that Lori likes her because she's unconventional because if you're a girl identifying with that it feels validating to have that appreciated and then she turns around and is like nope he's gonna marry the bitchy girly younger sister and it's just so like oh and so in the movie she makes a huge effort to make that actually make sense and to give amy who isn't like loathsome in the book but is definitely not as she's bratty right she makes a real effort to make her more interesting and deep in the movie which i appreciated but i did feel that it was occasionally a little bit clumsy like the speech you're talking about where she basically like explains how marriage works to Lori by saying like, you know, when I get married, like all my property goes to my husband and even my children become my husband's property, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, well, yes, everyone knows this. Like this is not new information the in to the Lori. Don't like, know it. This is for every, all the under 16s in the audience. Thank you very much, Morgan. <laughs> right. But like it just felt really... Like the, so much of the writing in the movie is so smart, and then that felt very false to me. I mean, honestly, one does have conversations like that where, like, you find out that men don't understand about like housework, you know, and you were like, "You're an adult. You understand the housework takes time, or whatever, you know." So yeah, but there were a few moments like that where it felt like she was trying to sort of shoehorn in more political things into the film that weren't sort of organically present that felt quite clunky to me that I just didn't love. Um, And that was the most obvious to me because I was just like, this is not like it's stating the thesis of what she's trying to depict instead of just showing it where she had been showing it really effectively. And then she has to articulate it also. And I was like, we don't need it. We do not need this. And she could say something gesturing at that but the whole explanation I just didn't I just did not like it but overall I thought the stuff with Amy and Laurie was great and I do think that I kind of think Timothy Chalamet is the best actor in the movie which feels feels so wrong for little women and again a lot of them are great but he is just so good Sasha and Timothy joined first yeah marvelous duo my friend and I left this movie and we're just like imagine if we were 18 now like this would be (laughs) I just how are they surviving like this is too much because like the sheer the sheer drought of options when we were that age it was like Orlando Bloom right who I always hated I mean he's fine but like I was not fine. into but that. But he wasn't like, he wasn't giving, because like the, en- the problem is the energy, right? Because it's like, there's yeah. always hot guys, but it's the energy, which is the reason why like Johnny Depp lasted for so fucking long. Yes. Like he coasted on the energy of like 1992 for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is just, he's, well, he's got the energy, he's got the looks and he actually is like a genius actor. So the whole yeah. package, the whole package is there. Just- the actual understanding of the way this character should be and the relationship 
he has and Sersha has and they all have with Greta Gerwig it is so lovely just to hear like everyone who works with Greta Gerwig is like she's the loveliest person in the world and I would die to work with her again and all this stuff and it's like great yes love to hear it yes (laughs) but I did feel that the fact that there was so much emphasis on the Amy and Laurie stuff in particular I think some of the other characters fell by the wayside a little bit I was like who is Emma Watson oh my god there's been some sort of like I was not following this due to blocking little women but there has been some chat about perhaps her gently being edited out of this film perhaps possibly. yeah I think they definitely cut some stuff because the thing that really was a sign to me was that the scene where John Brooke her the man she winds up marrying proposes to her is like the big climax of the first half of the novel it's a really wonderful scene it's one of the most famous scenes in the book and it's just not in the movie. <laughs> and all of a sudden you skip from all of these scenes where he's wooing her and sort of leading up to the proposal. And then all of a sudden it's just her wedding and there's been no proposal. And I was like, seems like an omission. Seems like that was supposed to be in here. And it's not. Because the other day I was like recommending this movie to someone and they were like, oh, the Emma Watson movie. So it's like the presence of Emma Watson is definitely a selling point to a lot of people. Yeah. And then it's like, I mean, not really a selling point to me. I think she's a nice person. I wouldn't go to a movie because she's in it. Because she's like, she's just not that, that great. Like, she's just, she's fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I liked her in the bling ring, weirdly. Like, I think the best thing she's ever done that I've seen was the bling ring. Oh, yeah. She's great. Where she's in that. great. She keeps playing to type too much because this is like playing to type. And Beauty and the Beast, completely understand, understand why you'd make that shitty movie. Lots of money, lots of like prestige. She was playing to type in that as well. And it was just like a very sort of wet blanket kind of role. And it's like, I would like to see, I mean, I don't think Emma Watson has the chops to do a Kristen Stewart role, but I would like to see Emma Watson do the equivalent of a Kristen Stewart role. Cause it's like, you know, just give it a go. Yeah. She's really, she's really not good in this. I have nothing against her personally, but it's unfortunate. It was supposed to be Emma Stone and then that didn't work out and they got Emma Watson instead. And, um, and then Beth, is really not in this almost at all either, which is, I told my mother this and she was like, (gasps) how could Beth not be in it? I mean, I was just like, there's too many sisters. Fine. Well, also I have no preconceived like feelings for Beth. Yeah. (laughs) See, I mean, Eliza Scanlon plays her. She's lovely, but I mean, Beth dying in this is again, like a central trauma to like young women who read this book. I remember fully weeping reading this as like a little girl and it's a bit tricky because she doesn't do as much in an active sense in the book as some of the other characters so dramatizing that is a bit tricky but um i i just wish it had been a bit more balanced even meg who's sort of known as the boring one if you read the book actually has a lot of great scenes but again the 1994 version which i poisoned myself by watching right before this does a much better version of balancing it out a little bit while obviously also still focusing on joe as like the main character if people haven't seen that Somehow, I don't know how I hadn't seen it for so long. I definitely would recommend it. Um, Claire Danes plays Beth in that, and it is just like, oh, transcendent. I mean, casting of that movie, well done. Incredible. Incredible across the board. Perfect. I mean, again, I think there were like great things about this movie for sure. And then it just felt like structurally a little bit like it wasn't quite working for me. And then I just, yeah, I mean, we can talk about the ending which was interesting, but something about the sort of po- political approach overall just didn't quite work for me. Um, there was a great essay in the feminist film journal, Another Gaze, about this, which I would highly recommend, even if you saw and loved the movie. It was just a really interesting reading of it, where the writer, whose name escapes me, but we'll link to this in the show notes, obviously, was talking about how the movie kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too a little bit with some of the rewriting of the romances, which again, I loved, but then not quite pushing it far enough. And you'd obviously don't know about studio stuff, who knows, but it feels in a lot of ways like a very kind of nice, pretty movie which is what you expect from Little Women. But one of the things she points out, which I thought was really insightful, was that the house just like looks so pretty and nice 
in the film. And there was some interview where the interviewer. It's extremely cozy. Right. Said to Greta Gerwig, like, I want to live in that house. And Gerwig was like, me too. And they're supposed to be quite impoverished in the book. And the Alcott's were vastly more impoverished than the marches in the uh, film or in the book. And that sort of rosiness over the whole thing feels like, again, it's trying to sort of gloss over some of the more complicated political things going on at that point in history that the novel does too, but that a more interesting film might push a little bit more. And Joe, in fact, in the novel is much sort of stranger and wilder than the character in this movie and including the gender stuff, it's sort of more out there and her rage is much more intense in the novel. Again, you don't know about the studio who's dictating things, but I think the it could have been sort of more interesting with an even more radical reinterpretation. And this felt like it was kind of getting like halfway there. And even that halfway is super interesting compared to sort of previous versions, but it just felt like it wasn't quite getting to a sort of philosophical point that was super interesting to me. I think it's interesting that you have a lot of reviewers being like, oh my God, this total feminist, like genius reinvention. And I was like, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Like, what are you seeing? I mean, I think probably what they mean is like, they've just categorized Little Women as like a twee thing that girls like since childhood, even if you're someone who's read the book, because that is definitely the image I had culturally is like, this is like a really twee thing that eight-year-old girls like. And then I watched the movie and kind of like read up a little bit and Louisa May Alcott was like, okay, good. But like, I didn't, I never thought that this was like, a modern person putting like a like a really grossly like a really kind of extra feminist interpretation on it it just felt like an interesting new interpretation of like what i'd read about louisa may alcott which was that her whole family were political radicals so yes and but i think a lot of the reaction has been the the former based of what you on just said preconceptions of like yeah yeah so again i just held a bit mixed on it which clearly most people found it really pleasurable and that's great but i kind of wish it had been gone a little further, which you can read more about this in that essay, which I would highly recommend. But we should talk about the ending, which does something interesting. Uh, Would you like to describe? Yeah, so it's like at the ending, like throughout the kind of movie, they have the idea of Joe writing Little Women and bringing it to this publisher who at the end of the movie agrees to publish it. So it's sort of like the authorial stand-in situation. And... um, he is like, you need to marry these characters off. So we have this dual ending where they have the traditional book ending, which is that she marries Professor Bear. And then there's also the ending where it's like, you can interpret the happy ending as her getting Little Women published. And in reality, she's remained single. And in one or both of those endings, she kind of inherits this house from Aunt March and perhaps like opens a school. So it's like, you can have, you can have like the marriage and kids ending, or you can have the one where it's like, Louisa May Alcott's life, basically. And I was like, this is like a really interesting thing they've done here. Yeah, I found it interesting as I was watching it. And the more I thought about it, I just, I can't decide. It feels a bit too cute by half in a way, which, yeah, I just, I I can't, I can't make up my mind. This is again, another thing where you almost wish she'd just sort of gone full bore into being like, no, I refuse (laughs) to engage. And the knowledge also that Alcott just like hated this book is kind of interesting subtext for this. Right. But I certainly appreciated that she didn't just have her marry professor bear in a straightforward way, because that is not what anyone wants, even though she did make a huge effort to make that as palatable as it has ever been by a huge, huge margin. (laughs) So, yeah, as you can all tell, I'm just sort of in the middle on this movie in many ways. I think this was the first time I've seen people have kind of the equivalent of like a Star Wars or Sherlock Holmes adaptation reaction to just like a like a wholesome literary novel, like Victorian novel, because like obviously there's so many adaptations every year and people have kind of quite strong feelings about some of those adaptations. But in this one, it was the same sort of preemptive social media reactions you see from if there's a new Star Wars movie or if there's like, you know, if there was like a controversial and experimental new Batman movie or something. And it was because everyone had so much sort of childhood nostalgia for these books. I was seeing people kind of 
like picking quotes out of interviews and promo stuff and reviews and getting incensed on Twitter. And I was just like really amused by all of them because they were all massively contradictory. <laughs> when I was writing my review, I was kind of, I had like a section where I was sort of writing about how, you know, like the queer subtext and the sort of the idea of her being gender non-conforming and sort of, obviously I didn't go into the ending, but sort of the way it's like, you can definitely interpret this movie as Joe not being heterosexual in a way that is like not even hidden. It's like a very intentional sort of subtext that's going on there throughout the film without it being like, oh, she has a female love interest, you know? And then there were like sort of reactions online that were like, this film is erasing Joe March's queerness and like Greta Gerwig is erasing Louisa May Alcott's queerness. And it's like, I'm not a historian, but like we don't actually know much about Louisa May Alcott's soul, right? <laughs> All we know is that she never married and there is no evidence of her ever being in love with anyone of any gender. This whole thing is all about like <laughs> like historical reinterpretation and stuff. So there are people who are like, this film is like so queer. This film is erasing like Joe's queerness. This role has made Professor Bear hot. This movie is the first one that acknowledges that Laurie's shit. This movie is the one where you like fall in love with Laurie. And it's like, none of you have seen the film yet. It's not out. <laughs> So, so just like very intense. Lots of people who are like, I'm boycotting this movie because Greta Gerwig has clearly bastardized the text. And it's like, you've had like a skilled, talented woman director making this book that you love. Like, I, you don't know how good you have it. <laughs> well, this is a testament to how much people love the Oh, book. people care so fucking much. Right? And I'm like, good on you. Good on you. <laughs> I mean, I think, obviously I haven't like done an extensive survey of everyone I know, but I think you are the only female friend I have who had not oh, read this I as mean, a child. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, obviously being British is like part of it because it's just not, it's not as much of a thing here, but it was definitely, I had friends who read this book like multiple times. Yeah, because I include friends of of other nationalities yeah. in that list. Yeah. I'm sure there's someone else, but it's, I mean, and obviously, I mean, not everyone reads Little Women, of course, but it's just so hugely popular and it inspires such an intense reaction in people um we were talking about this a couple weeks ago and after i had reread it and i was sort of thinking about it and i really do think the fact that the ending is such a nightmare is part of what makes people so intensely attached to it because it's one of the first things you read if you read it when you're quite young that gives you that feeling of outrage about (laughs) something being wrong right you're just like what is happening i hate this so much and I still loved it and loved Joe so much. Like I was Joe for Halloween one year. It was very intense <laughs> level of identification. But I was just furious about the epic. I mean, I just hated it. And I read the sequels too. So it wasn't like I rejected it as not having happened. Because I think at the age of eight, you're just not quite there in your brain yet, right? But it made me so mad. And that, like, just getting that level of feeling at that age makes you really attached to the thing that's making you feeling that way, I think. And hence all of these. It's embedded itself in everyone's psyches. Yeah, exactly. So it's great that we have all these adaptations of it. I mean, it's kind of amazing. It was took 25 years to get another one, but uh, I was happily all the teens will, will get to experience this anew. Take the men in your life to see this film. I think the final note of this podcast is that there's been over the past week or so a fair amount of coverage of just the idea that like men are not seeing this film. And obviously it's like, you know, films are aimed at different demographics. This is just a really great, really accessible, wonderful, high quality film with great performances. It's not like four girls only, um, but kind of part of the reason why this has got kind of particular pushback is because in awards season for the Oscars and stuff, they have screenings where you go and see movies to decide if you want to vote for stuff. And apparently just men aren't going to the award scenes and screenings for Little Women because they're like, sounds like that's a movie about Little Women. <laughs> Don't want to see that. <laughs> they're like, like queuing up to see like fucking Richard Jewell or whatever. <laughs> it's like, uh, fuck off. <laughs> so um, yeah, like take your, take your dads and your bros and so forth. You know, we've had some pretty solid Christmas movies this year. Obviously, um, Rise of Skywalker, Pure Garb, Pure Garb. Listen to our podcast that we just did on it. It's a very good podcast for a very bad movie. But um, between this and 1917, you've got some like serious yet accessible films come out. So, so you have options. You have options. And this is a really solid one. Yes. I mean, the fact that men aren't going to the award screenings just makes my head 
It's still explode. fucking unprofessional. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I don't want to waste two hours of my life on a film starring a bunch of really great charismatic actors written and directed by someone who just got an Oscar and everyone loves. Sadly, Greta Gerwig did not get an Oscar for Lady Bird. I mean, she got the Oscar to me. She was nominated <laughs> for like the screenwriting Oscar for Lady Bird, and then I guess someone else won. But like, I know who actually won, and it's Greta Gerwig. Who did win? Jordan Peele. Okay, no, that's it fine. was a tough year. <laughs> it was rough. That was okay. That's fine. That that deserves that. <laughs> it was one of the best years in recent memory across the board. I mean, she's great. I look forward to to whatever she does next. So go see Little Women. Don't go see Star Wars. That's our recommendation to you. Yeah. And next week, we are going to podcast about Parasite, which is like the hottest movie. It came out in the US months ago. It comes out in the UK in like February, but I saw a preview screening. Thank God. Um, It's by Bong Joon-ho. It's a masterpiece. Everyone who sees this movie is like, holy shit, my life has been changed. It's a masterpiece. Apart from the two people who were in front of me at the cinema who went out and the wife said to the husband, that was a bit silly, wasn't it? Which is the (laughs) wildest description I've ever heard of the movie Parasite, which is both hilarious and grueling. But we all know Bong Joon-ho, the wonderful man behind films such as Snowpiercer. And um, great Korean film about capitalism. Don't look up any spoilers, just go watch it. Yes, and we'll be getting in right before the Oscar nominations, I believe. So you can listen to our podcast about Parasite and then watch as it receives many Oscar nominations, which will be very satisfying. So that will be next week. If you would like to read my extensive coverage of... Yes, Morgan's expert coverage. She has been doing like close reads. If Actually, you know, if you're like a college student or whatever who's studying Little Women, subscribe to Patreon for Morgan's content because that's some expertise. Yes, I wrote many blog posts about the book. I wrote about the other adaptations and then I wrote about this movie. So I think there are like seven or eight blog posts all available to you for the low price of one dollar so uh knock yourself out i think you should watch the one where william shatner marries joe i did not watch that uh and i don't need to i did really enjoy the 1994 version as i said so if you're going to watch one other one along with this i would highly recommend it the Catherine hepburn version not so great you don't need to see that we also recently had an extra episode about die hard on the patreon which was fantastic really fun time uh, a great antidote to star wars in terms of uh action movies that don't suck so you can find that at patreon.com slash overinvested podcast gavia where can our listeners find you and your work online you can find my work on the daily dot including an interview with the little women's costume designer which was just super interesting very smart women and you can find me on twitter at hello underscore taylor I am on Twitter at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at Overinvested Pod. Our Tumblr is Overinvested Podcast, and our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.